Hey, well, thank you, Kevin. It was about 20 years ago, 21 years ago now, that I remember sitting down with my dad at a restaurant not too far from here and asking him some questions about what I should do with this girl that I was in love with. And I had never been to this point in my life before, but I knew that there was something special about this Jen Smoker girl, and I didn't really want to let her go. But the idea of moving to the next step felt really big. Because I'd never, you know, been married before at 21. And I sat down with my dad, or maybe I was 20. I was probably only, I was 21 years ago. I was probably only 10 then, right? I think it's my age now. I remember sitting down with my dad at the restaurant, and I, um, I needed someone to talk to because it was both, uh, both logical to take the next step to talk about marriage and to think about what it would be like, but it was also incredibly scary because, frankly, I'd never talked about it to this degree before because now it's getting, like, real, real. I mean, we've heard the word marriage before, but now it's like, no, it's me getting married. And that was a really big deal, and I remember the conversation um, for what it was. I don't remember the details of it, but I remember the moment of it. And I remember what happened on the back end of it and the, the quiet confidence it gave me as a 20, 21-year-old leaving that restaurant after having spent about a half hour, hour with my dad, being like, you know what? It's going to be okay. This is good. This is normal. Keep moving forward. And in that moment, it was life-changing advice for me. You know, since we got married now a little over 20 years ago, woo, virtual fist bump, woo, okay. Now we have three kids, and, you know, we've been in the area for a little while, and who knows if I would be here if I wasn't married to Jen or not. I mean, there's so many things that, that have happened as a result of that, in my opinion, life-giving advice. To which I ask the question, how much is advice like that worth? How much is wisdom like that worth to you or to me? In fact, if I were to put a value on that time with my dad and the conversation we had there in that hour at the restaurant, how much would that have been worth? Was that worth $50? Is that worth $1,000? Would I have paid $20,000 for what I have? I mean, how much is that worth? How much is great advice worth? And how much is great advice worth to you? What if you could figure out and you could pull up uh, the opportunity to kind of pull up a chair to the table of someone who is incredibly wise, someone who is the smartest person that you knew, and not just smart, but wise, and you could pull up a, a chair at the table with them for a half hour, how much would you pay for that cup of coffee? I mean, what, what if you could ask them, hey, should I marry them? Like the schools I'm thinking about, I mean, I have two or three that I'm thinking about. And this, this guy over here, I don't, I don't know. Listen, I know that you've, you've run successful businesses before. You know how to change culture and create strategy and vision and steps and all that. Like, what would you do with my business if you could? What would you do? Like, I know that you've handled the disappointment and failure of past abuse and, and personal failure. Like, help me navigate my own disappointment with myself. Like, give me, give me wisdom to know how to raise my kids. They're so dynamic what should I do? I mean, how much is wisdom worth to you? How much is great advice worth to you? Now, on this Father's Day, I can reflect on when I got to pull up a chair with my dad at the table and ask him these questions, and he gave me life-changing advice. I know not all of you have a dad you can do that with, and I recognize that, and I just want to acknowledge that. It's a great gift for me to have that, and for many of you dads, you have been that way for your kids. By the way, dads, our words to our kids weigh 
a ton. And so those spaces where we have an opportunity to speak into, encourage, and give life to our kids is a powerful, powerful life-changing moment for our children. But we don't all have the opportunity. And what if I could give you, what if I could give you a half hour to pull the chair up to someone at their table who is pretty smart and pretty wise and ask some of these questions about life and how it works. And they gave you some great, great advice because that's what I want to do with you for the next nine weeks in this series called Good to Know. I want to pull up a chair with you to the table that Solomon has set with his son. Solomon, one of the wisest men ever to walk on the planet. And he invites us to the table to listen to him talk to his son and give life-giving, life-changing advice. Here's what I'll say about wisdom, and I think we all know this, that wisdom is invaluable. My question, how much is it worth to you, is a question that we can't answer. How much is that worth? There's no answer to that question, but we know this is true. Wisdom is invaluable, but we may not always think about why it is invaluable, and I want to think about that with you. And here's what I have to say about that. Here's what I think. As I was processing, why is wisdom so invaluable? Think about it this way. Wisdom is invaluable, in my opinion, because it's actually a renewable resource which offers ever-increasing rates of return. I don't know if you ever thought about wisdom that way, but it is a renewable resource. It never exhausts itself, and it actually gets better over time. Now, what else do you have that you can say that about? It's a renewable resource that gets better and better over time, gives increasing rates of return. Take, for example, the simple advice, and if you grew up in church, you may have heard this. If you didn't, you still may have heard this said in different ways. And that is, let's take the simple phrase, turn the other cheek. Anyone ever hear that? Or in other words, like, love your enemies. Some might say the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Imagine a little kid growing up with that in, the, in elementary school, and they hear mom or dad say, listen, turn, turn the other cheek. We're going to turn the other cheek. What does that mean? It means when the, the toy is taken from them in the toddler nursery, they, instead of punching the kid like what would feel right to do, they're like, okay, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm going to give them my best. I'm going to turn to them the best part of me and kind of give that to them. As they grow, they continue to do that. And all of a sudden in elementary school and junior high and high school, they begin standing out because it's like, what? what's with you? <laughs> like, these people are bothering everybody else, but you, you're patient. Where'd that come from? You, you, are, you are kind. Like everyone else is annoyed by them, but, but you... That patience, where does that, where does that come from? And then you know who gets nominated to be the captain of the team? You think it's nominated to be the president of the class? Do you know who gets listed in the yearbook as most likely to succeed? Do you know who wins influence with the peers? It's the people who stand out, the people who have won that respect among their peers because wisdom continues to grow and has ever-increasing rates of return. And these people who learn from little on up to turn the other cheek then teach their kids, who teach their kids, and the message spreads and the rate of return is significant. Wisdom is like that. It never grows old and it only deepens as you get older. And that is why wisdom is so, so valuable. Ever-increasing rates of return, never, never exhausting. Now, with that being said, I will say this. 
that here's what I want for you in this series, okay? As I am thinking about what I would love to have for you, I would love for you, I want for you basically to have a way, a way that's an invaluable benefit to you and those closest to you. I want you to have a way of approaching your life, a way that I'm going to call a way of wisdom that actually becomes invaluable to you and to those closest to you. Because everybody has a way, everybody has a default way of thinking about life. It could be the way my dad taught me, the way my mom taught me. It could be my way is I'm going to look out for number one. Your way could be the very practical reality of today I need to make money because rent is due. I got to do this today. Some people, their way is, hey, you only live once. We got to live with adventure. Like we're going to move and travel and do all this kind of thing. Others are like, well, my way is the way of the kids. Whatever makes the kids happy, that's my way of making decisions right now. We're kind of kid-centric. Other people are like reacting to their past, but all of us have a default way of making decisions. All of us have a default way of acquiring wisdom. And I want to give to you a way that will be what we call the way of wisdom, which I think will provide invaluable resources to you with ever-increasing rates of return. And here's what I say about the way of wisdom. Here's what I think Solomon will have to say about it too, that the way of wisdom is invaluable because of what it does for you, through you, and around you. What it does for you, through you, and around you. That the way that we're going to talk about this morning, Solomon actually pumps up so big, it's amazing. And here is what stands out to me. Solomon doesn't lay out a way of thinking and just kind of soft sell it. He actually sits down with his son. He's like, listen, son, I'm going to give you something incredible. This is a game changer. If you will listen to this, you will get, I will deliver to you a system and a way of thinking that will be more profound, more valuable, more incredible than anything else you can ever come up with. And so I would almost, I would almost, in fact, maybe I will, eh, whatever, whatever this means, I would almost dare you to come up with another way of thinking, another way of approaching this life that is better than the way of wisdom that Solomon will give to his son as he pulls the chair up to the table this morning. So let's look at it. Let's get into it, because we're going to be in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. So if you don't have a Bible with you, by the way, no problem. There's a Bible in the pew near you. But Proverbs, chapter 3, is in what we call the Old Testament. It's the first half of your Bible. And uh, it's kind of, Psalms is in the middle, a big book of Psalms. There's 150 of the Psalms. And then you just kind of find the Psalms and then turn right a little bit and you'll find the Proverbs. And Proverbs, by and large, was written by a guy um, named Solomon, but uh, not all of them were written by Solomon. But this part is, Solomon was an incredibly wise man, uh, king of Israel. Um, he did a lot of dumb things, even though he was wise later on, but that's a story for another day. But he, he was incredibly wise and given a gift of wisdom. And what he's doing in Proverbs 3 is just, on this Father's Day, it's very appropriate for this too, but he's kind of pulling his son in and just saying, son, come here, come here, come here, son. It begins in verse 1 of Proverbs 3. I'm reading from the New International Version. And he says, my son, my son, do, do not forget my teaching. And so he pulls him in. He's like, son, and you can kind of hear the heart of the father. He's like, son, like, lean in a little bit. Have you ever, do you, you ever have a son or you've been a son? You know when dad says, listen, hey, son, come here, come here, son. It's the heart of a father, patient, calm, but strong, firm, but like, son, come here. Don't forget, don't forget my teaching. Now, the Proverbs are parallel structured. Almost every proverb is like this. The, the first stanza or part is parallel to the second. And the parallel works sometimes in synonymous ways, sometimes in contrasting ways. But when you read the Proverbs, 
sometimes inside of one verse or verse compared to verse compare or contrast to each other and tell a big story. So the Proverbs 3, 1 is no exception. Solomon begins as he, son, come here, sit, sit down. My son, don't forget my teaching. And the next word in English there is but. But now what's the opposite? What's the opposite of forgetting? And that is, that was solid. That was solid work. What's the opposite of forgetting? Absolutely. Remembering. Yeah, that, was, that was good work. I, know, I don't always do that, so that's not fair. I'm not being critical, but I was inviting on that. But I need to be clear when I invite your reaction. But absolutely, you're right on point. The opposite of forgetting is remembering. So Solomon says, don't forget. And the next thing he should say is, but remember, because that's the opposite of forgetting. But he doesn't say that. He says, don't forget my commands, but look what he says there. But, but keep my commands in your heart. You know why he doesn't say remember? Because sons never remember anything anyway. Why waste your breath doing that? I've been a son, so I can say that. Now, here's, here's why. Listen, we don't remember stuff anyway. Like, he's pulling his son up to the table. My son, come on. Pay attention. Listen to my teachings. Focus here for a minute. Here's what I'm going to do. Instead of just telling you to remember, because I know you're going to forget, I'm going to tell you what to do with the remembering. I'm going to give you a remembrance tool, and that is I'm going to tell you to keep. I want you to keep these commands in your heart. And the verb for keep is the idea of guarding. Like, take the stuff and guard it. Put it in your heart and guard it there. And we do this. We do this with all the important stuff, right? Like, if you're following, let's say if you're a sports fan, you're following your team, you can probably keep the stats of your favorite player in your mind. Why? Because you're not forgetting what they're doing. You're remembering, you're keeping, you're holding, because you're constantly engaged in watching them and reading and learning about them. If you have an eye on the stock market, you can keep the stock market info in your mind because you're constantly on that. If you have an interest in social media, you're keeping your eye on your Instagram feed or the Twitter feed or Facebook. Like you're constantly on it, and you're kind of keeping that in your heart, which is what we do. So don't forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, he says. And The point is we keep things in our heart all the time. Some of those things are good and some of those things aren't. Just a couple weeks ago, I had a chance to sit down at a local restaurant and talk with a young adult who's not related to, to Grace Point Church, um, but we have a, an ongoing relationship. And I you know, was sitting there across the table from him, and he was asking me the question, good questions. And he said, Tim, um, listen, there are times that I don't know if I have faith in God, and there's times I don't know if, if what I believe in God is enough. Like, how do you know? How do you know that you're believing the right things um, at all? Like, how do you know what to believe? Like, am I really believing enough to be, to be saved? Am I not? Like, how do I know? Like, do I just say I believe in Jesus and that's it? Or do I really, you know, what, what all do I need to believe? And so he kept talking for a little bit, and then finally, when he was done, I said, okay, tell me more about how you grew up. And uh, we talked about his dad. And the reality is his dad was absent for almost his entire life, walked out on their family when he was very young. When this, when this young adult was older, about 18, he went to see his dad in another state. A month after living with his dad, his dad took his own life. And so here's this young man sitting across the table from me, now a couple years removed from all of this. He's asking me, what do I really need to believe? How do I know? And what he's really saying is, I don't think, I don't think I'm worth being loved for who I am. Because his father never loved him that way. In other words, what he's saying is, I probably need to do some things, right, to earn favor, because that's why my dad left, right? Like, I never felt that affection from an earthly father. I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine that a heavenly father 
would by grace alone love me fully. That doesn't happen because he's keeping in his heart, guarding in his heart a lie about what he thinks a father and a heavenly father is like. And we keep things, we keep things in our heart. Sometimes in deep places, sometimes not so deep, but often. In the deep recesses of our heart that guide everything else that we do, and Solomon's dad is, or Solomon is leaning into his son like, son, come here. Don't forget what I'm going to tell you. I want you to keep these commandments in your heart because in your heart there are deep places that guide everything else about how you see the world. I want you to keep and guard and hold and put. Not just remember, that doesn't work. You know that doesn't work. I want you to keep these things in the deepest part of your heart. And then he incentivizes it. He tells him why he should do this. And that's in the very next verse. Look what he says there. Verse 3. Or excuse me, verse 2. Why? Because they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. If you have a different version, it might say, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you some version of that. In other words, like, like if you listen to this, if you do this, you're actually going to live longer and be prosperous. That sounds kind of crazy. But I'm telling you, Solomon just lays it out. He's like, son, you're going to want to listen to this because you're going to live longer and be more prosperous. It's a, it's a Hebrew word called shalom. Some of you have heard that word before, but that's that, that word of, of full peace and satisfaction and um, like everything is right in the world. That's the word that he uses. He's saying, everybody wants it, man. Everyone wants this peace. They pursue it hard. Satisfaction, fullness in life. I'm just telling you, if you listen to my stuff, if you listen, don't, don't forget, keep it in, keep it in. Then you're going to find what everybody is looking for. You're going to find shalom. For many years, your life will be protected because you will make better decisions. You will influence more people. You will be wiser, therefore you will be, on the whole, healthier, more prosperous person. And he lays it out that way. And then, because Solomon knows that, that great ideas like die if they don't make it on the calendar. You ever have that? Great ideas die if they don't make it in the schedule, if they just live out here. Well, that was a good idea. Now, what's for lunch? Like, if they don't go further into my rhythm, then they just die. That's just the way great ideas are. You can be inspired and moved and then have nothing happen. And so Solomon knows that, and so he's, he's a dad, and dad of a lot of kids, and he pulls his son up again. He's like, okay, I know I just told my son this, but he doesn't remember anything anyway, so I'm going to say it again, but I'm going to drive it home in, in a little bit further. And so he kind of repeats himself in the next two verses, and he'll do that, but it's parallel, so it adds a different nuance to it. So look at verse 3. He says, now, 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 son, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Or if you have another version, kindness and truthfulness or some version thereof. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let that stuff never leave you, but bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. And this is another big word, you know, love and faithfulness is the idea. It's a Hebrew word, again, called chesed. If you can say that with a little guttural sound, that <laughs> kind of spit on your neighbor in front of you. But chesed is the Hebrew word that kind of defines the covenant love of God in the Old Testament. That God's love, the fullness of his love, is about this chesed love. He's a truthful, faithful, kind, loving, consistent father. 
He's saying, those are the characteristics I want you to have in front of you. Like, lead out in your life as someone like your heavenly Father. Lead out in your life with kindness, with truthfulness. That people, when you say what you are going to do, that you do what you are going to do. And you do it in a loving and faithful, consistent way. Like, let those characteristics never leave you. In fact, I don't want them to leave you so much that I want you to imagine binding them around your neck and writing them on the tablet of your heart. Like, put them in your schedule where you will see them on a daily basis like make this a rhythm of your life like if you have something around your neck or on your heart his point is don't just have it in your mind don't just remember it now and then oh that was a that was a good teaching yeah that was a good thing with dad and no like push it further than that um michael hyatt a leadership consultant many of you are familiar with made the comment the other uh, the other month that the difference between um Good leaders and great leaders is great leaders are able to keep their goals in front of them on a consistent basis. It's just a matter of seeing what my goals are. It's just a matter of continuing to keep in front of me the things that are most important to me. And Solomon, you know, gets that. He's like, I know that you're going to forget. If you don't write it down somewhere, if you don't schedule it somewhere, if you don't run this thing through a new rhythm, a new habit of your own life, you are going to forget what I am telling you. And life will get away from you. And I don't want that to happen. So I'm telling you. Keep it, don't just try to remember it, and then I want you to write it on the tablet of your heart and kind of bind it around your neck. I want you to put it into a rhythm, a practice in your life where you are constantly, daily, regularly, habitually running into the way of wisdom because I want for you that your life will be long and prosperous and you will experience shalom. In fact, he finishes in verse 4. What he wants for him is that, verse 4, that you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Like, that will happen. Like, you will win favor. And we know how this works, right? Come on, you know how this works. People don't just give away favor, do they? People don't just give away respect. I mean, think about the people that you respect the most. It's not people that you're like, oh, I don't know, who should I respect? You just pick a name. I guess I'll respect, you know, I don't know. Joe, Joe Schmidt, I'm just going to respect. We don't ever do that. Like, respect is earned, right? Influence is earned. And it can be lost, right? Some of you have lost respect in leaders. Some of you have lost respect in your spouses. Some of you have lost respect in people in your family, in your business. Because respect is gained and respect is lost, and influence is gained and influence is lost. What can be won can be lost. Grace is free, absolutely. But we're not willing to put ourselves under the influence of other people whom we don't respect. It's just the way it is. And Solomon says, son... I want for you to influence others, quite frankly. Like, I want your platform to grow. I want your voice to be heard. I want you to be the one who leads in your group. I want you to be the one who influences the leaders around you. I want you to be an influencer. And I want you to win favor because favor requires winning. It isn't just ever given to anybody. It requires winning. And the way that you will earn that favor is by keeping love and faithfulness, kindness and truth in front of you and in a habitual pattern of your life. You'll win favor with God and man. And this is why I say at the beginning, and this is, by the way, is an introduction to the series. And so you may get to the end and you may be like, okay, where does this way of wisdom go? And then you, I'm going to tell you, you're going to want to come back next week to hear more of where this goes. But here's what I'm saying. This is why I said at the beginning, the way of wisdom is invaluable because of what it does for you, through you, and around you. What it does for you in your personal discipline, in your personal habits, in who you become on a consistent rhythm basis. Because life is made up of our days, <laughs> Our days and our moments in our days are what creates our reality. So this way of wisdom is invaluable because it shapes you on a regular basis. And then what it does through you, it simply adds influence to you, gives you the opportunity to be the person 
who is an influencer in your school, at work, within your family. And what it does around you, the people around you are gifted and blessed because of this on a regular, regular basis. They're better because of this. So I have a question for you that I'm going to leave with you, and then we're going to talk about what's coming next week. Here, here's a question, a diagnostic question that I want to give to you and have you consider. Because everybody has a way, everybody has a way of wisdom, everybody has a way of making decisions, they're just the way that life works. Some people, again, just do the way mom and dad taught, some do the way that, you know, best thing I can make, some people do what's the best financial thing that I can do. Everyone has a way. And what I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you to think about the way of wisdom as Solomon lays this out. And so I want to ask a question, and then I want to tell you what I do, just for the fun of that, okay? Here's a question. The question is this, how can I keep God's way of wisdom in front of me? It's a simple question. How can I keep God's way of wisdom in front of me? What are the ways in my life that I can habitually run into the things that God might prefer me to do than the things that I might prefer to do on my own? Now, this is a little bit of a theoretical question. I understand that. A little bit of an abstract question, a little difficult to answer on the fly. So I'm going to help you. I'm going to prime the pump by just inviting you into the table of my life and just pull you into the table for a minute and just tell you what I do. And I, I would say, if I could just share personally with each of you here and those listening online later as well, like if I could just share with you three things for me personally that I do. Number one, uh, there's, there's habits there's habits that I work on scheduling in my own personal life on a weekly basis that rhythmically drive me back to learning more about God's Word at a personal level. Let me tell you something else. I think some of you who know me longer know this. I am um, recovering. <laughs> I'm recovering from a duty-driven Christianity. Okay? So I'm recovering from a Christianity that is anchored in do, do, do. And a Christianity that has said the more you do and the more faithful you are, the more God will love you or the more favor you will earn with people. And so I am recovering from that, and yet I still will tell you that one of the things, as I answer this question, how can I keep God's way of wisdom before me, is I still prioritize the habit and the rhythm and the schedule. I have to schedule my time to stay in and return to and come back to reading the Bible on a regular basis. Okay, that, that's part of my answer to this question. And the reason I, I do that is because I need the sharpening of God's Word. Because I will tell you, for me, just because I'm a pastor, that doesn't mean anything in terms of the way of wisdom. It just means that's what I do. The reality is, I, like anyone else, can get swept away and forget what God might have me do in any situation. And the way of wisdom is a difficult one to just assume on my own. So, number one, three things. Number one, habit. Number one, the habit. And that's worked for me. So the habit of a routine rhythm of staying in touch with and contact with the Scriptures. And I will tell you, if for you that means, man, that's going to be a, a one-minute deal, make that one minute happen. You might be in a life stage where you've got young kids or you know, you're transitioning, whatever. You've got a couple minutes to spare, then, then give it a couple minutes to spare. Like, I'm not telling you you need to do 18 hours a day getting into the... Like, no. The routine habit, I'm just telling you this is what I do. Okay? I need a habit. I need a schedule. And that's what I work toward. And the second thing is friendships. And this wasn't taught to me early, but it is what I found to be true for me. I need friendships. I need friendships with people who actually I can talk to and can help encourage me to think about my world in a, in a biblical way 
so that I'm not just kind of coming up with my own ideas for my future, for my family, for my finances, or whatever, but I have people whom I talk to who help drive me back to the way of wisdom, who can reflect to me that, you know, I don't know, Tim, that's such a great idea. And I want to invite, invite their reaction. So for me, it's three things. First is habit, second is friendships, and then third is what I do in service, what I do in teaching. Even here Sunday morning, but before I did this for a job, I also realized pretty quickly, many of you realize this too, that you prepare for what you teach, right? You prepare for what you serve. That you as a teacher, you as a volunteer, you get more out of what you prepare than anybody else, right? And so this is what I learned early on, that I need to have an outlet for what I'm reading. Otherwise, I just become a smarter sinner. <laughs> but I need an outlet. I need a way to give back. I need a way to push in. I need a way to volunteer and kind of teach and lead and then be shaped by that. And not everyone has a gift of teaching. That's fine. But there has to be some way, whether it's a small group conversation, whether it's just mentoring somebody or conversations with people, where I'm intentionally, I'm choosing to give back, and I'm letting that outlet of the Word of God that comes into me come out through friendships and accountability and support that way, but also kind of come out to, how can I give back to somebody? And that forces me to remember, man, if I'm going to give back, I've got to get in in the first place. So how do I answer this question? That's how I do it. Three things for me. They may not be the three things for you. I just want you to know what I do, if that's helpful for you, and I want to prime the pump for you to say, okay, what is it? How can I keep how can I keep God's way of wisdom in front of me? Because it does not take long. It does not take long for me or for any of us to go back and snap back to our way of thinking, our default desires. And Solomon is saying to his son, son, lean in a little bit. I know you're forgetful. I know you don't remember very much. So lean in. Don't forget. Keep. And I'm telling you, telling you, it will bring you long life and prosperity. I'm telling you, it will bring health to your body. It will bring life to you. I'm telling you, wisdom is invaluable because it is a renewable resource that has ever-increasing rates of return. Now, next week, we're really going to start Today is an introduction to the way. All that I wanted to do today was tell you, this way exists. Wisdom is invaluable. And ask you to consider this question. How will I and how can I keep God's way of wisdom, regular interaction with Him, in front of what I do, on my schedule, in my habits, and consider it? Next week, we're going to ask the question that Solomon pushes to his son in the next verses, and that is, who in the world do you trust, and what does it look like to trust the right people? Look forward to having you back next week. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be together in your word this morning, to be in this book of Proverbs, to pull our chair up to the table of Solomon and hear a little bit about what he has to say to his own son on this Father's Day, to step back and be reminded of the value of wisdom and what it brings to us, to our children, to our families, to our friends, and to those around us. I pray that you would work in us and work on us, and then also consequently work through us. That our lives, our marriages, our parenting, our working, our play, would be enriched and deepened by continuing to keep your way of wisdom in front of us on a habitual, systemic, 
basis. That we can come back with grace upon grace, but also with intentionality to know you, to pursue you, to pursue wisdom as you lay it out here in the scriptures. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity we can share together this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name.